have two exciting Sundays. One of those Sundays is today, the other one is, is next Sunday. And we're kicking off the book of Exodus. How many of you got the, the, the text that when you clicked on it, it was like an email format? How many of you got that, just so I know who's kind of getting it? And that was just a kind of informative, here's a, two, two exciting Sundays that are happening. If you don't get the text, then just encourage you to fill out the connection card on the chair in front of you. You can kind of opt into our communication. and um, Or you can even do it digitally if you don't like to... To write it out, you can just text the word CONNECT to our church phone number and that'll bring you up the, the, um, the form to, to do that. So we're kicking off the book, Exodus, but next Sunday, i got to tell you, we're celebrating our 16th annual Agape service and meal. So put your hands together for 16, sweet 16. I guess that means we're growing up. We can get our license now, 16 years. Um, and if you probably don't know what we're clapping about, if you're newer and you're like, what's this agape uh, thing? It's, uh, agape is the Greek word for love. And when we look at the church 2,000 years ago, Jesus instituted the church. And the church would meet together and have meals together. And they would share the love of Christ with one another. And they called those agape feasts. Agape is like the deepest word for love. It's um, when we say love one another, when we have signs made up, one's in my yard, that says love one another, Jesus said that, um, that means agape love, to care for one another, to be there for one another. And so um, we want to do that, and um, every year that we have the agape feast, to me it's a reminder we're called by God to love one another, and we're called by God to wear our stretchy pants, because let me tell you, (laughs) there's a lot of food at the agape feast, is there not? Have you been there before? Yes. So when we all contribute, and the way you can contribute is you can sign up online uh, or you can sign up uh, through our website, but you can actually text the word agape. We have these little keywords that we use that make it easy to sign up for things. But agape, um, sign up is, is um, you know, you don't want me to call you, do you? You don't want, you don't want a phone call from me like, hey, what are you bringing? Uh, no. Uh, but anyway, also, I feel like the best thing about agape is it's an easy way to invite friend to church. Maybe you've invited a friend to church before and they were like, eh, you know, maybe I'll come when the lions are off or maybe I'll come, you know, when I have nothing else to do. Tell them you'll buy them lunch. It's true. You're buying them lunch. Like you're going to give them a great meal. Who doesn't love a free lunch, right? You can get them. I promise you that if you bring them, okay, we'll do our part. I'll do my part. I'll share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And the church will do its part and love your friend. I mean, there is, I mean, if you are new here, if you have been here a long time, you know, like, we're not fake here. We're, we're, we're just real people um, that love Jesus, and we want to see other people love Jesus, and we want to live our lives to honor God. I mean, that's, that's what we're here. This is what we're all about. We're not trying to be fake Christians. We're trying to be real Christians. Amen? Amen. Yeah, so... That's our promise. And speaking of promises, we're doing this thing about promises today. God keeps them, always has and always will. And that's the title of the message today, God Keeps His Promises. And we're going to see this in the book of Exodus, the proof of it. Last week, if you were here, I gave you the backstory on Exodus. It's in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. I told you about Abraham and Sarah, how God promised to them that he would build a great family from them, a a nation, if you will. And their promised child came finally. Abraham and Sarah had a 
boy named Isaac, and Isaac is uh, the father of Jacob, and God gave Jacob a new name. His name was Israel, and this is where we see the nation of Israel today. They are all coming from the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob known as Israel. So if you're from Israel, you're an Israelite, Israelite. a lot of ites. So the Israelites, so you'll hear me say that a lot, and I just want you to know where that comes from. That's from the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's Israel. And so God promised to bless them, bless uh, their, their family, grow into a big number. Also promised to give them a great land, which, by the way, is the most sought-after piece of real estate in the world. Today, we call it the Holy Land. And everybody wants that piece of property, and God has given that, that, that holy land, um, to his people. Um, so there, there are some wonderful things in the book of Exodus, and um, there's lots of reasons why I want you to know about the book of Exodus. And there's a reason why I chose, out of 66 books to preach through, um, why I chose to preach through the book of Exodus. I think you should know it. I think it's important for every Christian to know the book of Exodus. Because in that book of Exodus, you're going to see God's perfect plan becoming uh, or unfolding. God's promises unfolding. You're going to see his miraculous power as we sang about today. We'll probably sing that song a few more times, No Longer Slaves, where he split the sea. Because um, when you preach through Exodus, you kind of got to sing about splitting the sea, right? The Red Sea. And uh, God has amazing provisions despite the people's disobedience. There's lots of wonderful things in Exodus, but that's not even the reason why I want to preach through it. It's because of the two major themes that come out of Exodus. And those two major themes are the same two that we see throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible. The first major theme in Exodus is, re is redemption. Is redemption. Um, honestly, I think this is the greatest theme of the whole Bible. Um, 66 books. Just think about the concept of, or, or just think about the collection of the Bible. What is the Bible? It's 66 individual books written. Um, letters. Actually, there were scrolls. Um, but, you, you know, you wrote, they wrote these, these books, these letters, and there are 66 of them, and they were written over the course of a few thousand years, and yet you put them all together, they're inspired by God, and you have one one central theme, one message that God's trying to get across to us, and that is redemption. God loves us. I mean, think about it. God created us, he loved us, and yet man rebelled against God. The sin separated, separated man from God, but God continued to pursue man. I mean, he took care of Adam and Eve right away. Even though they had consequences for their sin, he took care of them from... He gave them clothes. I mean, because nobody wants to walk around naked, right? So God was like, here, have some clothes. But he made a promise to redeem man, to rescue him. And it's a beautiful thing, to restore man. This is what the Bible is all about. So if anyone ever asks you, what's the Bible all about? You can answer that with one word, redemption. It's all about redemption. In fact, it's a love story. It's the greatest love story you'll ever read. If you read the whole Bible, it's God loving man. Through all of our disobedience, God still loves us because his love is unconditional. And right here in the book of Exodus, we see this, this love story, this rescue plan beginning to unfold. And the Israelites were people just like us. God chose them, but they're just like us. 
They were, um, in fact, in this case, they were imprisoned in a foreign land and God took them out of that place and brought them to a promised land. And that was very real for the Israelites back then when it happened to them, but it's also very symbolic of what God does today for us when you think about what happened there. God is delivering us today from sin. The truth is, everyone has had a genesis, a beginning, but not everyone has an exodus, a deliverance. Everyone here has had a beginning, you had a birthday, but not everyone is guaranteed to be delivered from their sin. And how does God do that? What does God do to deliver us from our sin? Jesus says he causes us to be born again by the Holy Spirit. In fact, there was a great conversation between Jesus and a ruler of the Jewish people. His name was Nicodemus in John chapter 3. If you ever read the Gospel of John, I'm sorry, not if, when you read the Gospel of John in chapter 3, you'll see this, this verse, truly, truly, Jesus says. And whenever Jesus says truly, truly, or verily, verily, that means it's really important. Pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, he's talking to a man who knew, I mean, who was righteous by, by everyone else's, you know, by his own standards, by the law standard. Like, he obeyed the law of Moses. Like, he was perfect in, his, in, 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 the, in the way that he thought he should be. But then Jesus comes out with this and says, unless you're born again, brother, you're not going to heaven. You're not. In fact, if you're only born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once which is a wonderful thing to remember. Redemption is the theme of Exodus. And it's also the theme of the whole Bible. So that's why one of the, you're going to love Exodus, I think. The second major theme found in Exodus and throughout the Bible is the title today, God Keeps His Promises. In fact, one of the verses in the New Testament that Apostle Paul says that you might want to memorize is 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing to memorize? For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. That's the truth. And if you were here last Sunday with God's promise to Abraham, or you were here on Wednesday, on Wednesday night we go through the book of Romans, verse by verse. I encourage you to come out on Wednesday night at 7. That group is growing and we're all learning and, and it's really fun to go through each verse one at a time. But in that uh, Romans 3.3, we found out that the Apostle Paul says this, What if some were unfaithful? Does, that, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? No, never, he says. By no means. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. He will keep his promises. Say that with me. God keeps his promises. All throughout the book of Exodus, we see God keeping his promises, being faithful to his promise to the family of Abraham. He's a promise keeper. They all find their yes in Jesus Christ because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Yeah. Friends, you're in for a great blessing. Aren't you so happy you belong to a church that helps you understand the Bible so you can know God and get closer to Him? Yes. yes, I am so happy to be a part of that kind of church. Let's pray. Father, 
May your word today be a blessing to us. May we dive deep into Exodus 1 and see the truth that's here for us. May we apply it to our lives before we know that your word is not meant just to inform us, but it should transform us. It should renew our minds and transform us into, well, into faithful followers of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that in your name. Amen. So, we're in uh, Genesis last week. We saw the three promises to Abraham. Going to bless your nation, your family. Going to turn you into a nation. Going to bless you with a great land. And going to bless you with many other blessings, wealth and power and everything and all that that came along with that. And um, as the book of Genesis closes, if you read the book of Genesis, you read the last chapter, you see that there's a, a family of 70 people. So this is kind of their, their family, kind of, well, you have Jacob who had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, we call them. So you have this family of, of Egypt, living in Egypt, and there's 70 of them. And as I started to think about, you know, the ending of Genesis, you read the end of that and you think to yourself, man, this would be a really cool ending, perfect ending to a great movie. You know, if they made a movie called Genesis and they told the stories that are in Genesis and then you end the movie, you're going to end it with this beautiful sunset on the family of Israel, right? I mean, the 12 tribes and just, they, they, they came to Egypt, they left, actually they left the land that they would eventually um, inherit back, but they left it because there was a famine and they're in there and they're, and they're, they're, they're enjoying life and, and you, would just, you would get this for, warm, fuzzy feeling. You know, like, this is a great story, and it's a great movie. But then you turn the page to Exodus, and you're like, okay, this is the sequel. And let's be honest, sequels are rarely, like, as good as the original. Am I right? I mean, Grease 2? Come on. In the words of Danny Zuko, don't make me laugh. Ha, ha, ha. You can't make it like the original. Speed 2? No way. Sandra Bullock, come on. Can't do it. And then one of my favorites, Ace Ventura. All right? Jim Carrey, you're good, but you're not that good a second time, buddy. So the sequel's not that good as the original usually, but sometimes it's good and sometimes it's even better. I think that's what we're going to see in Exodus. Because in Exodus, we're going to see the promises being fulfilled by God. And you should know something about Genesis to Exodus. Even though you can turn the page and start reading the story right away, it's kind of like how we watch TV these days, right? You binge watch a whole season, and then do you have to wait, you know, for the cliff, you know, the cliffhanger at the end of the season? Do you have to wait a whole summer to, like we had to in the old days? Come on, old folks, you know what I'm talking about. We used to have to wait a whole three months before we could see the next... No. No, Netflix or whatever you're streaming, just like, boom. Okay, what's the next season? Spoiled. Our kids are spoiled. Wait. Genesis to Exodus, folks, is 400 years. 400 years. In fact, it's almost the same time gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's a huge time in which God says nothing to these people. There's a silence. And sometimes that's hard for us when we get a silence from God, right? And we, we have a hard time when we don't hear from God for a day, a week. But here there's 400 years. No prophet is speaking 
to the people of God. 400 years. But then there's Moses. In Exodus, we're introduced to Moses, which we'll see next week in Exodus 2, his birth. But he's actually credited, by the way, of writing, in case you wondered who wrote the book. In fact, the first five books of the Bible are are accredited to Moses. And um, we call him the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, that's the Greek word, and it means five scrolls. The other word that's used is Torah. The Jewish word Torah means instruction or teaching. So they, they, the, the, the Jewish people believe those five books, those first five are, are like, that's the law, right? That's Moses, the law of Moses, the, the teaching, how they should live their lives. Well, Moses begins his sequel, Exodus, with the same way he ends, Genesis, with this family of 70 people that lived in the land of Egypt. They settled in Egypt. And then he, he names them. And then he says in Exodus 1-7, so if you have your Bible, uh, Exodus is the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. If you want to open up your Bible, there's the blue Bibles in front of you on a chair. If you need a Bible, take it. It's yours. You can have it. Um, but if you want to open up to Genesis uh, or Exodus 1, verse 7, and we're going to go through this first chapter. This is our goal this week. They get through chapter 1 of Exodus. Verse 7, the people of Israel had 70 But they were fruitful, they increased greatly, they multiplied, they grew exceedingly strong, and the land was filled with them. Isn't that lovely? Because it's God's promise. He he fulfilled his promise. He kept his promise. He, He grew this nation. Now, how many were there after 400 years? Moses doesn't give numbers right here, but a little bit later on in the Pentateuch, he does a, there's a census taken. And the amount of Jewish people now, the Israelites, is 600,000 fighting men. Men over the age of 20 that could fight. 600,000. So if you include the women and the children under 20, now you're talking about 2 to 3 million people. 70 grows to 2 to 3 million people. Now, you need some perspective. You're thinking, some of you are like, well, wait a minute. It's like 400 years. I mean, how, how, do I, how do I get perspective on this? Is this normal growth? Is this, you know, not normal growth? You know what would be really helpful for you is if you had a pastor that used to be a math teacher. That would be really helpful. You know, someone who could crunch the numbers? Boy, you are in for a treat because this guy taught math for 16 years. And I did some research, and I did the numbers. In fact, I did a little research on the world population growth. Currently, our world is growing at a rate of 0.84%. It's actually down from the last few years. It was at 1%. That's the rate at which our world is growing. And if I ask the question, how many people are in our world today, most of you would probably answer 6 billion or 7 billion, but we're actually almost going to tip over at 8 billion. Our world's at almost 8 billion people now. And you're thinking, wow, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's just it's exponential growth, right, math teachers? My wife is one, she knows. Lots of people, but it wasn't always like that. If you know what an exponential curve looks like, you know that the beginning of it is very slow, 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 slow growth. And then, you know, well, think of your 401ks and your 403bs, okay? That, it starts off slow. You've been saving forever for like 20, 30 years. It's those last few years where you really get the gains, 
So hang in there. Keep saving. Um, but uh, slow growth early on. In fact, the data says that the research that I did says from the dawn of agriculture until Jesus was born, B.C., I like to say before Christ, the average growth rate was about 0.05%. Very slow growth during that time. The world's growing at that rate. But Israel, so I did the numbers, I did the math, Israel grew at a rate of 2.65%. And you might think, whoop-de-doo, a couple extra percent. But that's 53 times greater than the average growth rate. That's not humanly possible. There was something in the water. (laughs) No. It's God. With God, all things are possible. He said he would bless them. Here's the proof. He blessed them. With 53 times the birth rate. I mean, it's it's amazing how God blessed Abraham into this nation of incredible size, as he said, look out to the stars. Look at the sand. Can you count it? No. That's your nation. That's your people. That's your heritage. There was this huge nation. God keeps his promises. Amen? So, Exodus 1, verse 8 and 9 now. There was a king, a new king over Egypt. They called him a pharaoh. Um, He did not know Joseph. Now, the first pharaoh that, that brought Joseph you know, to a, pot, to a, to a second-in-command, if you will, um, he, he loved Joseph. Joseph interpreted his dreams. Um, by the way, some research, and um, you know, it's, it's hard to do research that far back because we're talking um, you know, 3,500 years ago, but there was a, a, an Egyptian dynasty called the Hyksos, H-Y-K-S-O-S. And it turns out that they weren't, uh, Egyptians, actually. They were actually foreigners living in the land, but they grew so, so big that they kind of took over for, for a, a period of time. And some say they were shepherds, and some say that that was, the, that was right around the time that Joseph was given second in command. So it could have been, hey, shepherd, I'm a shepherd, you know, or, or you know, that's, that's just a little bit of, of research, but not um, that important to what we're talking about here today. But there's a king now in Egypt who doesn't like Pharaoh, or, or um, doesn't like Joseph, doesn't like his family, because they're really big. In fact, he hates them. Verse 9, it says, he says to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So he's in control, but he's afraid of these people because there's so many of them. I mean, it's possible that like, they outnumber the Egyptians, who knows, tenfold, twentyfold. They're everywhere. And so here comes a promise from God to Abraham that you see in Genesis 15 that's really not so pretty. It's not the good part of the promise. It's the oppression and the persecution of God's people. The oppression and the persecution. First, it's the oppression of the adults. The Pharaoh turned the Hebrews, the Israelites, into slaves. Into slaves. Verse 11. They set taskmasters over them, and afflicted them with heavy burdens because they had to build Pharaoh storage cities named Pithom and Ramses. So they were tasked with this, this difficult job of, of building these, um, these storage places for Pharaoh. And these were honestly sad days for the Israelites. Very sad days. Um, in fact, uh, anytime there's persecution, um, it's sad. But I think 
I think it's significant here, and I think that many believe that uh, anti-Semitism is actually satanically inspired persecution. I wouldn't say it in every single case, but I'm saying if you think about it, if God's plan of redemption involves this nation and the continuance of the nation of Israel, and Satan knows this, doesn't he want to destroy this nation to wreck God's plan of salvation for all of us? started in Genesis 3 with the serpent. We see it here in Exodus with Pharaoh. We saw it in Germany with Hitler. I mean, this is possibly Satan's job. His, his, his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. So this is potentially what we see right here, a satanic-inspired persecution using Pharaoh. But let me remind you of a great truth. In the midst of evil persecution, verse 12. Verse 12 says, The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Hasn't this truth been proven over and over again? When you try to shut down God's church, it spreads like wildfire? Yeah. When you try to silence the gospel, it shouts from the rooftops. You can't shut down God's plan. God keeps his promises, and he always will. So not only does Pharaoh oppress these adults, but he persecutes their families. This is what happens next in verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom whose name was Shipra, which means beauty, and the other Pua, which means splendor. Feel free to name your child Shipra, but I think you should pass on Pua. (laughs) Sounds a little bit like something else. Verse 16, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women, this is Pharaoh addressing these women, see them, and when you see them on the birth stool, if they have a son, kill him. If it's a daughter, she can live. What a tough position these midwives are in. I mean, they're under the control of Pharaoh and his orders. And they know very well that if they don't obey those orders, their own lives would be at stake. So what would you do? I mean, this is a tough position to be in. And many times as Christians, we're in this position where we may not agree. It doesn't even matter. It's not about whether we agree. It's whether God agrees with what the government or a leader or a boss or even a parent tells you what to do. If God's word speaks otherwise, Romans 13, Acts 4 and 5, we see what to do. You obey God. You don't obey corrupt leaders. So these midwives told a little fib to Pharaoh. He said, why aren't you obeying me? They said, oh, we're trying, but, verse 19, they said, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Man, they just give birth so fast. We can't even get there in time. I don't know, maybe they were trying to get new chariots or something. I don't know what they're... No, they were just trying to protect. Verse 20, that God dealt well with the midwives. Did they get persecuted and, and die? No. The people multiplied, grew strong, and because those midwives feared God... It says that he gave them families. Now, you may read that and think nothing of it. But here's the truth of a midwife in that time. 
They were probably barren. They were probably women who could not have children. And what does God do because of their obedience? He blesses them with families. How wonderful is that? How amazing is that that God would do that for them because of their obedience? Sometimes we see, obedience, or, uh, we see that blessing that comes from God um, on this earth, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't see it because sometimes people are martyred, are killed for their faith. But they see that blessing in heaven. And uh, there's been many that have died for the faith. Verse 22, Pharaoh commanded all his people. He started with the midwives, but now he's going to all his people. And he says, Every son that's born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Basically, he deputizes everyone, every Egyptian, and says, Kill all the baby boys. Kill them all. And that's a lot of persecution. And you might wonder, who will avenge those deaths? Who should avenge any deaths, any wrongdoing? Whose job is it to give vengeance? If you know your Bible, you know it's God. God. Leave it to God. In fact, when you keep reading in Exodus, what happens in the 10th plague? God takes the lives of every firstborn male Egyptian. There's no, that, that's not, that shouldn't be a surprise to you. That, that comes all the way back to Exodus 1. God bringing the vengeance. God keeps his promises. And I think today, when we look at our state and we look at our country, many of you may be very disappointed like I am. I mean, I didn't vote at the last election that we just had for the people that were elected. I didn't vote for the proposals that passed. And I'm discouraged, as, which I'm sure some of you are, with the direction of our state and country. But here's the reality. The leaders didn't force themselves into the positions that they have. They're not dictators. The majority of the people voted them in. So the problem isn't with the leaders it's with the majority of the people. And what we're seeing in our state and in our country is that more and more people are looking at life through their eyes. And as I try to teach you, what the Bible tells us to do is what God tells us is that you need to look through my eyes. We need to have a biblical worldview, seeing life through God's eyes. What does God say is right? Amen. Because when we are the center of the universe, we take ourselves down some terrible paths that lead to destruction. But when we look through God's eyes, he takes us down a path that bring us, brings us many blessings. So what do we do now as Christians? You know, do we just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, let's move to Florida or a deserted island or, you know, some other place? Should we do that? Or should we keep doing what Jesus called us to do 2,000 years ago, love one another? Share the good news. Plant the gospel. Water the gospel seed. And remember this. God's not slow in keeping his promises. He is patient toward all of us. The reason why God is patient is because he wants us to repent. He wants us to turn from our wicked ways. And he will heal our land. He will heal us and bless us because he has the power to redeem us. 
No one else has the power to redeem us but God. And if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, I need to be redeemed. I need to be rescued from my sin. God has the power to do that. And you just need to ask him for help. And if you know someone, you've been praying for that person, and you really want to see them be redeemed, keep loving them, keep praying for them. God is patient with them. He can still redeem them. 